Hello, everyone. Welcome to our listeners in the Big Apple from across the U.S. and around the world. I'm Jeff Goodman, and you've tuned into Rediscovering New York. Professionally, I'm a real estate broker with Brown Harris Stevens, and as my listeners know, I love New York. Rediscovering New York is a weekly program about the history, texture, and vibe of our amazing city. And we do it through interviews with historians, local business owners, nonprofit organizations, preservationists, local musicians and artists, and the occasional elected official. On some shows, like tonight, we focus on an individual New York neighborhood or two, exploring its history and its current energy. What makes that particular New York neighborhood special? On some shows, we host topics about interesting and vital colors of the city and its history that's not focused on one particular neighborhood. On prior episodes, you've heard us cover topics as diverse and illuminating as American presidents who came from, lived in, or had some interesting history here in New York, about half of them, actually. We also did a recent show about the history of New Yorkers who were candidates in presidential elections. We've talked about the history of women activists in the women's suffrage movement. We've talked about the history of African-Americans who've been here since the time of the Dutch. We've talked about the history of the city's LGBT community and the gay rights movement. We've looked at bicycles and cycling. They've been part of our city for more than 200 years. We've looked at the history of punk and opera. And we've looked at some of our greatest train stations. And a recent show even talked about the history of coffee and tea in New York. As great as we things we have in New York, we also have great stories about coffee and tea. After the broadcast, you can catch each show on podcast. You can hear us on Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and other services. Tonight, we're going back to Queens. We're actually going to take a look at two neighborhoods which have a lot in common and are right next to each other, Woodside and Sunnyside. My first guest is no stranger to the show. It's returning guest Jason Antos. Jason is a journalist and author of six well-received books on the borough of Queens. He's a graduate of the University of Miami and a lifelong New Yorker. His family has lived in the five boroughs since 1913. It's more than 100 years. His first book on the history of Whitestone was published in 2006 when he was 25. In 2007, Jason wrote the first history book ever written on Shea Stadium. I still think of it as Shea Stadium. It's currently in its fourth printing. Jason's published other books, Flushing Then and Now, Jackson Heights, Images of America, Corona, The Early Years, and also Queens Then and Now. His latest book will be on the history of Douglaston and Little Neck. Jason's most recent professional affiliation was as the associate editor of the Queens Chronicle. And if all this isn't enough, he's the president of the Queens Historical Society. Jason, a hearty welcome back to Rediscovering New York. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for having me back. It's a real pleasure to be here. Well, it's always a pleasure to have you and your expertise and your passion about about Queens. Um, You're not only from New York, but you are actually from Queens originally, aren't you? Yes. I was uh, born in Flushing and... uh, Raised here in Flushing, and now I currently reside in Whitestone. And we also had an episode that's also podcasted on Whitestone. You can pick it up on on podcast. Um, When did you first become interested in in the history of this amazing city that we live in? I became interested uh, when I was in grade school, believe it or not. Um, We had to, uh, for English class, we had to write a book report on any subject that we wanted. The teacher left it open to us, and I decided to write about an old house that was located at the end of the block from here, from where I grew up. And that house was at the time an abandoned mansion and it had belonged to uh, the Arthur Hammerstein, the Broadway producer. 
And uh, that was how I first got interested in it. And then when I got into college and I was going to school for journalism, I, I really wanted to write about New York City and be a reporter in New York City. So that's when I started writing about local history and local politics and local events. And it kind of just, I kind of fused it together. How did you get involved with the Queens Historical Society, and, and, and when did that happen? Queens Historical Society was the first place that I went to to do research. Uh, when I landed the book deal in 05 for the Whitestone book, I went to Queens Historical Society. And like most people, um, I wasn't really even aware that we had a historical society. I knew about the Bound House and about the Quaker Meeting House, but I really didn't know too much about the Queens Historical Society or if it actually had like a brick and mortar type of location, but it does. And it's in a beautiful farmhouse called the Kingsland uh, Homestead. How old is the Kingsland Homestead? It's, it's from the 18th century, isn't it? Yes. King Kingsland Homestead is from the early 1800s. Hmm. Uh, it's a, um, uh, part of it is, was built and some of it actually part of the property actually dates back to the time of the revolution. It was actually uh, cut in half and transfer, uh, transferred to where it's located today off of uh, 37th Avenue. Oh. Was it put back together again? <laughs> it was put back together. Oh, well, that's thankful. Modern technology. Um, f- before we talk about Sunnyside and Woodside, I want to ask you about the names of the neighborhoods. You know, New York has interesting names. Sometimes uh, it's names of people. Sometimes it's names of something that happened. Um, how did we get the names of Woodside and Sunnyside? Well, Woodside and Sunnyside, uh, basically, when they were developed, they were real estate marketing names. Uh, before that, the area was known as Winfield. Uh, legend has it that it was named after a man named Winfield Scott, who was a soldier in the Revolutionary War. Um, and in those days, it was very common for towns and neighborhoods to be named after uh, military figures or people from political history. Um, but Woodside Sunnyside was known as many different things uh, before it was known as what it is today. Mm. Uh, Woodside uh, comes from uh, basically because it was a heavily wooded area and Sunnyside uh, supposedly comes from the fact that, you know, it's located along the Queens Boulevard, which is facing due east. And, you know, they call Long Island, you know, the the sunrise homeland because the sun rises due east, uh, you know, over Montauk. And so you would catch the rising sun. So that's why it was called Sunnyside. Oh. Well, I'd make the argument that every part of our great city is actually a sunny side in one, in one yes, sense or another. Yes, it is. Um, like most parts of what became New York, Jason, in pre-settler times, the area was inhabited by Native peoples. What what did they do in the area that would become Woodside and Sunnyside? Well, uh, the Native peoples at that time were uh, located all throughout Long Island and New York State and, and the city. Um, the uh, relationship that they had uh, with the British and the Dutch, which are the two original founding uh, nationalities, cultures that settled here from abroad, uh, their relationship with the Native Americans dictated where the English and the Dutch lived. The Dutch did not get along with the Native Americans. The British, however, uh, got along a lot better because of their history with uh, Native Americans in New England. So when they crossed over the Long Island Sound and they came to Long Island, the Dutch were more than happy to allow the British to settle in eastern Long Island and eastern Queens because they they felt that the British would deal better with the Native Americans and vice versa. So the, but the Dutch could not 
could not really establish a solid relationship with them. The Dutch were not uh, very tolerant of the Native Americans, so they they kind of consolidated in western Brooklyn and lower Manhattan. And actually, there's a history of uh, several skirmishes and also attacks of uh, 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 military uh, wings of the Dutch West India Company that actually attacked uh, certain local peoples. I think maybe in Staten Island or what became New Jersey, but in the 1630s and 40s, wasn't very wasn't a very uh, uh, good history. Um, were there Dutch settlers living in the area that would become Sunnyside and Woodside? Because sometimes they didn't populate all of what became the city, but but were they in, in Sunnyside and Woodside? Oh, yes. They were definitely in Woodside, uh, definitely in Long Island City and neighboring Astoria. Uh, so that's absolutely true. Uh, the Dutch uh, primarily uh, situated themselves by the water, as most communities did, uh, to have access for boats and for fishing and for travel. So Long Island City... Astoria was very heavily uh, populated by Dutch, and so it, that bled into neighboring Woodside. I read that there were some names of some areas within what became Woodside and Sunnyside, things like you know, Wolf Swamp or Rattlesnake Woods. Yes. Uh, how would that have enticed anyone to want to live there or set up shop, you know, <laughs> with names uh, like that? Well, pro- probably no one. Uh, you see a lot of that when you're doing history of Queens and Brooklyn or practically all five boroughs or even Long Island. Uh, you find when you look on really old maps, you find all of these little names that were not uh, official names. They were given by the people who lived there. They were like little nicknames uh, for places. It's a very Eurocentric, Europe, uh, European-centric thing uh, to do. Uh, you know, Flushing, we even had a place called Monkey Hill. Uh, which nobody knows why it was called Monkey Hill, and that was along College Point Boulevard by the Flushing Creek. Uh, here we had uh, uh, the uh, the Ireland Mills because somebody had a mill and he was from Ireland, so they called it Ireland Mills or the Irish Mill. But it was just a little, like just a little local thing that everyone knew what it meant. But to someone observing a map, it was a complete mystery as to why it was called that. Oh. Well, despite the names of Wolf Swamp and Rattlesnake Woods, I would never want to go there or uh, yeah. certainly not to buy to plan on buying a home in Rattlesnake yeah, Woods. Not. Um, this section of Queens was once known as being one of the prettiest places in the entire area before yeah. development. Um, New York City saw more action during the American Revolution than any other place. And I'm always fascinated by individual things that happened throughout what would become the five boroughs. And and each of the boroughs really has um, some extraordinary Revolutionary War history. Was there anything particular that occurred during the revolution in Sunnyside and Woodside? Uh, Particularly in Sunnyside and Woodside, not, not to my knowledge. As I'm doing research, I'm going to try to flesh out. Uh, more revolutionary activity uh, that occurred in Woodside. I know that there were several uh, encampments in Woodside. I know that there was a, a big encampment in Jamaica, Queens, and in Flushing. Uh, That's of the British. Uh, I'm sorry? That's f- of, of the British. Of the British, correct, yes. Because mm-hmm. uh, Queens was pro-Tory, which means that uh, Queens County was pro-colonization, uh, not pro-independence. Mm-hmm. So the British called... Um, Jamaica and Flushing, their home. Mm. Well, there was, you know, after the revolution, there was development the for British farming. Soldiers, I should say. Sorry? Or the British soldiers, I should say. Oh. Um, wasn't there a, a fort somewhere near Sunnyside or Woodside? Uh, there, there was. There was a small fort located in deep in Woodside South as mm. you head towards uh, Calvary Cemetery. 
Well, as, after the revolution, um, there was actually development for farming. Swamps were drained and the land was because it was moist and there was good soil. I read, I wasn't there, obviously, that it was good to grow fruits and vegetables. And there were uh, markets relatively nearby in, in, in New York City and Brooklyn. Um, unlike some of the areas that were farmland and then got subdivided in that, you know, that's a story of a lot of American suburbs. Um, some of the land that had been used for farming actually became country estates before the period of residential development. Uh, yes. Uh, let's fast forward to after the Civil War. Um, Woodside and Sunnyside are known as two of the most historic suburban areas within the city. And we, we generally think of most of Queens when I was growing up is that Queens was developed like after the First World War and after 1900. But Woodside's development actually started before 1870, didn't it? It, it had started uh, before that as a small town. And as you mentioned, as the, uh, the big estates that belonged to the principal landowners, one of them was the uh, the Windmuller estate. Um, and then uh, in the 1860s, 1870s, that was the, the coming of uh, Benjamin Hitchcock, one of the most successful uh, real estate developers in New York City, uh, who not only helped develop Woodside, but also uh, Corona and Ozone Park. Uh, he was quite a, a successful developer, not just the developments, but actually helping to build towns and neighborhoods. Yes. Um, and also around this time, uh, what would become uh, the famous Northern Boulevard was first developed around around this time as well. Yes, uh, it uh, was the uh, Northern Boulevard is interesting. It was the brainchild of an engineer by the name of John C. Jackson. Um, and uh, as a result, Northern Boulevard was known as Jackson Avenue, uh, which is how Jackson Heights got its name. People think it was named after President uh, uh, Jackson. Uh, Andrew Jackson, uh, but no, it's actually named after this gentleman, John Jackson, who lived off of, off of Northern Boulevard and 34th Avenue, uh, which is on the border of Woodside. And it's like where Astoria, Woodside, and Long Island City all kind of like meet up. And that triangular plot was his property. And he helped uh, finance the construction of Northern Boulevard as a thoroughfare for people from Woodside and Sunnyside to get into Long Island City and vice versa primarily to get down to the East river to take the ferry across into Manhattan. Mm. Uh, then as, and they're still a part of Northern Boulevard today. That's known as Jackson Avenue. When you get down by the courthouse in Long Island city, Northern Boulevard turns into Jackson Avenue. Oh, it still maintains the name. Yes. All right. Well, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Jason Antos, who's the president of the Queens Historical Society, in this program about Woodside and Sunnyside in Queens. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. 
you listeners looking to boost your business why not advertise on talk radio nyc with very reasonable rates interested simply send us a message on our website talkradio.nyc I'm Graham Dobbin. Join me every Thursday evening for the Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. We speak to people from business, sport, military and politics, all around what makes a great leader. The personal experiences of what's worked and, maybe more importantly, what hasn't worked. So, that's 7 o'clock every Thursday evening. The Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. Listen to real stories of real leaders. Listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Welcome back to Rediscovering New York and this show, this episode on Woodside and Sunnyside. My first guest is Jason Antos. Jason is a historian, journalist, and author, and he's written five books or six books, and he's on his sixth or seventh. Sorry, I lost count. You do so many. Jason, I'm going to throw you a little bit of a trick question. Um, I didn't ask you this question on three of the shows that we did in case the answer to the question wasn't about that neighborhood, but you've written a book on um, uh, Flushing and also you're writing one on Little Neck and Douglasson and, and wrote one on Whitestone. So this next question, if your answer wasn't one of those, it wouldn't have looked so great. So I'm going to ask you, do you have a favorite book that you wrote in terms of doing the research that, that inspired you more than any of the others? No, they're, they're all my favorites. I know that's uh... <laughs> No, they really are, because each one uh, introduces new challenges and uh, reveals information that, that I never knew before, and I, I feel blessed to really provide that information to the people who enjoy reading about this uh, topic. And your first book was on Whitestone, wasn't it? It was on Whitestone, yes. And then uh, your your book on Shea Stadium is in its fourth printing, and now you are writing a book on Douglaston and Little Neck. When is that going to be published? That's going to be published uh, March 22nd. Hmm. Well, you know, the next time we get together, uh, Jason and I first met a while ago when we were doing in studio, but now we've been doing Zoom calls. I'm going to have to uh, bring books and have you inscribe them. Usually I ask someone to inscribe one, but you're going to have like five or six of them to inscribe. Absolutely. So you start getting creative and think of different inscriptions for each one of them. Um, Although Shea Stadium was, uh, was the most difficult one. I'll give you the answer for that one. The Shea Stadium was uh, um, um, made it right in on the deadline. I literally submitted an hour before the final deadline. That's how how rough it was to write that one. Why was it the most difficult? Because of all the 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 of the subjects of all the books you've written, which could go back, you know, a hundred or more years, some two hundred years. Shea Stadium that's from nineteen sixty one, isn't it? Or it was difficult because a lot of the photos were licensed by MLB. And they were gracious enough to give me some images. And then uh, being MLB, they would call me and saying, no, you can't use those. And I would say, but you gave me permission. Well, yes, now we're taking it back. I said, okay, can you give me something else to use? Sure, here it is. Two days later, no, we need that one back. You can use this or you can use that. And one person said to me, you could, you could use the image providing 
you don't publish more than one copy. And I said, well, that's kind of, you know, a strange request. You know, they said, well, is it a limited run? I said, yeah, but it's not more than, it's definitely more than one copy. <laughs> uh, so the, uh, the Shea Stadium book was like a running gun battle to have that thing put through. Oh. And, uh, and it's ironic because it wasn't even <clears throat> less by MLB. It wasn't an MLB product. It was an independent book, but they were very, very um, uncooperative. The city was cooperative, though, but not them. Well, if anyone wants to order any of Jason's books or look them up and see if you want to order them, they're all available on Amazon, right? Um, yes. Jason's last name is spelled A-N-T-O-S, and his books are on Flushing, Jackson Heights, Whitestone, Corona, Queens Then and Now, uh, Shea Stadium, and a uh, new one that will be out in a couple of months on Douglaston and Little Neck. Yeah. Well, moving back to the neighborhoods we're focusing on today, Woodside and Sunnyside. Um, right after the First World War, there was a lot of infrastructure that that um, aided and abetted the the expansion of the neighborhoods. The the Queensboro Bridge, the Flushing Line, the construction of the Flushing Tunnel, which connected the Flushing Line, which we now know is the you know to the Seven Train to Grand Central and Times Square. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the Metropolitan Life Insurance Housing Project in Woodside. People, uh, a lot of people know about Stuyvesant Town and Peter Cooper Village. Uh, MetLife built those after the Second World War. They planned uh, Parkchester before the Second World War. But a lot of people don't know that MetLife actually got its start in uh, affordable housing in Queens in the early 20s. And um, don't forget about the big six. We got to give a shout out to the... Do you know about the big six in, in Woodside? No, no. We, we're gonna, we gotta, we get our gotta, second guest is nodding his head, but I don't, uh, I don't, I don't know about the big six. So, big so six. tell us about it. But um, no, that's that's very interesting about about MetLife. It was really um, that began. It, it really begins in Western Queens with um, that uh, that uh, category of housing. Uh, then you also have. Um, in Long Island City, Astoria, there was another development. I can't really think of the name right now. But then, and then also again in Long Island City, you have Queensbridge Housing, which is the oldest, uh, uh, one of the oldest projects in in New York City in the United States. I believe it's one of the largest. But then you have all various types of housing, uh, private, city, um, you know, any any sort of demographic you, you could think of that starts in Western Queens all the way into Sunnyside and also into Jackson Heights. So the, the area at the turn of the 20th century and the early 20th century was kind of like an experiment because there was so much property and land up for grabs so that mm. everybody was investing. You know, it was just basically a huge cash cow and everyone was trying to feed into it. Well, before we talk about uh, a more recent vibe of, of Woodside, let's go to its neighbor, Sunnyside. Um, tell us about the development of Sunnyside, when it happened, um, how it occurred, and, and the earliest developments and what their significance was. Well, Sunnyside really begins, um, was kind of a, a fledgling village for many years. And it really doesn't kick off until the uh, around World War I. Um, it was really the coming of the IRT-7 train um, through Queens Boulevard that allowed the neighborhood to be built before the seven train was built. The majority of Sunnyside was just very open, dusty plains. Uh, once you got out of Woodside, it was almost like the no man's land between Woodside and then uh, the developing Jackson Heights. So Sunnyside was very, very small. And as Woodside grew in popularity, 
then the people there started, uh, the developers started, started looking at that uh, wedge of land of that area between Woodside and Jackson Heights. And really, it doesn't kick off until 1917 when the IRT arrives along Queens Boulevard that you see this huge push of development. And then from 1917 to 1929, it just skyrockets. It goes into overdrive. You know, it does seem a little strange because usually when you you uh, look at neighborhoods that develop, they usually develop concentrically, like from where the busiest part of town is. And Long Island City is a very is a very was its own town and is very old. Um, how is it that um, you sort of had development there and then skirted a whole area and going into the middle of Queens and left out a, a, a place that was closer to Long Island City and closer to to Manhattan, and that did, and that didn't get developed until after communities west of it. I think uh, one of the reasons was is is twofold. One, you have a lot of land prospects that went sour, so you have people who bought property, developers who bought things, and then they couldn't, you know, they 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 basically went bust and they couldn't get the project off the ground. And then you have the terrain itself. You have an area that's extremely swampy, uh, muddy. Uh, there's uh, kettle ponds everywhere. Uh, and it's a, a very, like, uh, for, foreboding landscape. And it's it's kind of, you know, it doesn't look like there's a possibility for any sort of building to be done. Uh, Jackson Heights also ran to that problem in its early development. Uh, like where the BQE, that was all marshland where people used to go duck hunting. I mean, it's just, it's it's crazy. When when you look at the pictures from 115 years ago to now, it's just, it, it doesn't make any sense. But uh, that those two things really could like stall development for a long time and cause that like sporadic kind of progress. Let's talk about Sunnyside Gardens. When was that planned and when was it built? Because that's really uh, sure. quite a development and, 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 and it's notable for a number of reasons and landmarked. So Sunnyside Gardens is part of the uh, garden apartment movement that came from England. Uh, it came to Sunnyside. Sunnyside Gardens is the first. Um, it's kind of in battle with Jackson Heights for the first garden apartments, but I believe Sunnyside is the true first garden community in New York City, um, which is today landmarked. It's, it's on the National Register of, of Historic Places. Um, and that was just all part of the eclectic type of architecture and community planning that was going on. Like I mentioned before, when you, when you have such a wide area of property, I mean, huge, I mean, tremendous amount of acreage, and you want to diversify the appearance of the property, you want to build all types of homes, all types of buildings, all types of dwellings. Uh, these uh, developers, they had great foresight to be very experimental and really kind of, you know, switch it up. Instead of making everything look the same and unified, they would do this and then they would try this and they would bring in all architects from around the world or they would be inspired by architects that they studied growing up and then they would try to replicate it because they had this this clean slate in which to work with. So uh, when uh, so Sunnyside Gardens... Also, they were very heavily influenced by the Queensboro Corporation, which helped build uh, Jackson Heights. Uh, and then they took the same idea of the garden apartment, but made it on a tremendous scale because most of the buildings in Jackson Heights, the original buildings, are uh, modeled after the garden apartment movement. Mm. 
We can't talk about Sunnyside without talking about Sunnyside Yards and uh, keeping uh, in tune with uh, everything being great in New York or most things being great in New York. Uh, New York has the largest train yard in the country, which is the Sunnyside train yards. How did they wind up there? What was, uh, how did they end up in Sunnyside? Well, again, the terrain uh, allowed it uh, to be placed there. Uh, you know, it put, um, it also did the link up to the Steinway tunnels uh, which led into Manhattan. Um, legend has it that where the Sunnyside Yards is located today, that was the original, original location of the, the original village of Sunnyside. Uh, I'm going to try my best to to confirm this when I do research for the for this upcoming book that I'm doing with the Queens Historical Society, which will be out many, many moons from now. Uh, and we'll talk. Oh, I didn't know you were going to do a book on Sunnyside. That's oh, yes, great. I'm going to have to add it to the list. We are in the pre-approved stages of doing uh, Sunnyside Woodside, but now that I'm the president, the, the board president, I figured that um, the Queens Historical Society should have its own book because uh, it's been a while since we we did we published a book. So we're going to do Sunnyside Woodside, mm-hmm. and all the photos are going to come from our archive. Mm-hmm. Um, but so, but when we do the research, we're going to confirm this ancient uh, story that, uh, you know, that's where the original settlement was. Uh, and then it was cleared away to build the Sunnyside Yards. And then, you know, it kind of got shuffled around the map. And then, as I mentioned, in 1917, 16, when the IRT came, that's when it was kind of reestablished. But Sunnyside Yard still is today one of the, one of the largest rail yard in, in the United States. Well, we do everything in New York bigger and better than everybody Absolutely. else. So we have, have the biggest train stations. We might as well have the biggest train yards. Uh, I do want to add that the Queens Historical Society is especially rich in records, including photographs from both Woodside and Sunnyside. So it's uh, really uh, appropriate to have you speaking about this today. And one other plug for Sunnyside, uh, just uh, six days ago on November 18th, uh, Sunnyside was written up in the New York Times as one of the most desirable neighborhoods in the city to live. Uh, Jason, we're out of time. I want to thank you again for being uh, a great guest on Rediscovering New York. Once again, everyone, you can find out about Jason's books and order them on Amazon. He has published books on Whitestone, Flushing, Jackson Heights, Shea Stadium, Corona, and in a couple of months, there'll be another book out about Douglaston and Little Neck, and now, sometime in the future, another book about Sunnyside. Jason, thanks for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We'll be back after a short break, and we will speak with someone who lives in one of the neighborhoods we're covering today and who has a business in the other. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Are you interested in having a better relationship with yourself, others, and God? Greetings. I'm your host, Dr. George Andow, for the show, A Journey Through Into Awareness. On my show, we journey into the awareness that the mind of God is the true seat of our personal consciousness. We join together each Monday at 7 p.m., so tune in on Talk Radio NYC. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? 
I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. curious person always asking questions do you desire to be in the know then join me antonia host of so now you know thursdays at 5 p.m at talkradio.nyc listen in as i attempt to satisfy that curiosity i will be talking with amazing everyday people join the fun so now you know on thursdays at 5 p.m at talkradio.nyc you're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. back and you're back support for the program rediscovering new york comes from our sponsors christopher pappas mortgage specialist at td bank to find out how chris can help you with all your residential home mortgage needs and tailor a mortgage that's right for you please give chris a call at 203-512-3918 and support also comes from the law offices of thomas siaka focusing on wills estate planning probate and inheritance litigation Tom and his staff can be reached at 212-495-0317. Rediscovering New York is about New York, its neighborhoods, its history, and the myriad textures of our amazing city. There's another great show on the air about New York and specifically about the business of real estate. Good Morning New York with Vince Rocco, my friend and colleague at Brown Harris Stevens. Vince's show airs on Tuesday mornings at 9 a.m. You can hear him on voiceamerica.com and also on podcast. You can like this show on Facebook. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter. My handle's there at Jeff Goodman NYC. If you have comments or questions or would like to get on our mailing list, please email me, Jeff at rediscoveringnewyork.nyc. One of the note before we get to our second guest, even though Rediscovering New York is not a show about real estate, when I'm not on the air, I'm indeed a real estate agent in our amazing city where I help my clients buy, sell, lease, and rent property. If you or someone you care about is considering a move into, out of, or within New York, I would love to help you with all those real estate needs. You can reach me and my team at 646-306-4761. Our second guest is Jonathan Cordero. Jonathan is the son of a Brazilian chef and an Italian-American professor uh, who is originally from Astoria. He was introduced to the restaurant business at an early age, watching his dad operate two successful restaurants in Brazil while spending the summers there as a child. After his father returned to the United States, he became an executive chef for a number of New York City restaurants, and it was through his connections that Jonathan was able to get his start in the restaurant business. He was a busboy at the highly coveted Copper Kettle Bar and Restaurant in Woodside. He took that job when he was 16. He rose through the ranks to waiter and ultimately bartender. His 18 years with what he came to know as the Copper Kettle family fueled his passion for the trifecta of service hospitality and community. Sorry, that's the trifecta of service, hospitality, and community in the restaurant business. 
Jonathan made his dream come true when he opened the Alcove restaurant in Sunnyside in December 2015 with his wife, Maria Antonia Posada, who's a native of Medellin in Colombia. Another lifelong dream will come true at the beginning of 2021 with the long-awaited opening of Bello, a partnership with his father specializing in Brazilian cuisine. I'm getting hungry just at the thought of it. Jonathan Cordero, a hearty welcome to Rediscovering New York. Hey, Jeff. How are you? It's a pleasure. Good. How are you doing this evening? Doing great. How are you doing? Good? Good. I'm fine. I'm always good on my show. Most of the time when I don't have a, an occasional uh, mishap, but our great engineer, Sam Leibowitz, when that happens, takes care of, of, of restoring service. You're from Astoria originally. Yes. Where in Brazil did your father operate his restaurants? My father uh, was born and raised in Belo Horizonte, Brazil, hence the name of the new restaurant, Belo. So that's where both of his restaurants were. Yeah, it's just north of uh, Rio de Janeiro, Belo Horizonte. Oh, how old were you when you first started to see your dad work work in his businesses? I think I was probably around 10 years old. You know, my mom and my dad split um, at an early age at around nine or 10. And my dad went back to Brazil. And shortly after, he opened the first of his two restaurants. And, you know, every summer I'd go out there and, you know, spend the summers out there. It was amazing. Great experience, you know. You know, it's funny. I have had a similar experience. My father was in a different business. He had an electronics uh, factory in Borough Park. Uh, and when I was growing up, when I was nine years old and I finished camp, I got a job in <laughs> the factory. I didn't really do anything that was, you know, factory oriented, but worked in offices and stuff. And I got paid 25 cents an hour to do that. It was hey, a great well, That was 25 cents more than I got paid. <laughs> <laughs> And it was a big deal for me, you know, a quarter an hour, but also just, you know, to, to the, uh, the, uh, the wonder of all those different, you know, departments and things uh, oh, yeah, as, as a nine-year-old. Um, when your dad moved back to New York, did you miss those summer trips to Bello? I forgot the name, the whole name of the town. Absolutely. You know, going there, you know, my father has most of his family still there to this day. So anytime I'm not there, I miss it. It was, you know, a great experience to be able to spend time and make memories and learn about my dad's culture, learn the language, uh, an amazing experience. And I recommend it to, you know, to anyone to go to Brazil or, you know, it's just a beautiful place, period, you know. I haven't been, but it's definitely on my list. Absolutely. Amazing. Um, at 16, Jonathan, you got your first restaurant job. Was there any other motivations for you to work in a restaurant aside from the job at that point? Was it Honestly, like a pa- was it passionate for you to do it? You, you know what? I'll be honest. At the time that I started, it was really more about just getting a job, right, and, and keeping myself busy, right? Um, so it was amazing that my dad, through his connections, he was able to get me a start at a, at a, at a restaurant at, at a, you know, at, a, at a, an early age and it kept me going. It was, it was great. A great experience. You know, that's well, another thing we share. When I was 16, I got a job as a busboy. Uh, actually, <laughs> the reason I took the job, it was uh, a five-minute walk from where I lived. It was Joe's Clam Bar in Sheepshead Bay. Wow. When I was 15, I scooped ice cream on the corner shop and then 16, there you go. I got a job as a busboy. Um, you talk about the copper kettle being coveted. What was so desirable about, about working in the copper kettle in Woodside? Well, you know, the copper kettle, it's still around to this day, and it's been a, a staple in the Woodside community for decades now, you know? Mm-hmm. And at the time I started working there, there certainly hadn't been anyone of that age um, working in the space at all. Uh, 
So it was uh, came with a tremendous responsibility. Um, and it was an honor to be there, you know, through my dad's connection, you know, I was able to get in there, but it did come with a great deal of responsibility. When did you move to Woodside? How old were you? I was, it was in 2010. So I was 28 years old. Okay. So you had already been working at the copper kettle when you moved. Yeah. Um, you opened up the business with your wife, Maria, uh, the alcove in 2015. Was there anything particular going on in your lives that had you and Maria decide at that point to take the plunge and open your own own restaurant? I think it was just the perfect opportunity at the perfect time. Uh, I had the itch for quite some time to, you know, do something. Um, uh, and I knew that because anywhere I went, you know, I couldn't stop analyzing every single thing about every restaurant I walked into and how they were able to, you know, you know, operate and every little detail. So once you get that bug, you know, it's just a matter of time. And, you know, my wife had a uh, degree in uh, business administration and it was just a perfect marriage, you know, and opportunity. So it was timing, you know. Was there anything particular about Sunnyside as a neighborhood that had you pick that place for you and Maria to open your business? Well, I'm biased because it's where I had, you know, all of my roots professionally, right, for over 20 something years. But it's, you know, it's a such a special neighborhood, you know. So for me, there was no other option. I was going to be in the Sunnyside or Woodside area because of my connection to it. And I wanted to be close to where I live and, you know, where the people knew me. And I'm going to we're going to talk a little bit about the neighborhoods in a couple of minutes of it. I wanted to find out a little bit more about about your business past. Um, what was the inspiration for coming up with the name? You know, I got to tell you, in my business, the word alcove isn't exactly the most enticing word in a description of, of what I of what I sell. Yeah, yeah, you know? yes, in real estate. Right. Yes. Yeah. So 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 how did you come up with how did you and Maria come up with the name alcove? You what know, was it? The, the the alternatives, I couldn't even tell you. They were so bad, Jeff. They were so bad. And I just kept thinking. And ultimately, it sounds cliche. It was like a light bulb that just went off in my head one day. And, you know, when I thought alcove, I think of a hidden little nook, a recessed, cozy little nook, right? Uh-huh. And, and essentially, that's exactly what the alcove is. If you look at our space... It's the size of a living room and, you know, it plays into who we are and the coziness. Essentially, you feel like you're walking into our home when you come in. Right. So once I thought of it, I knew right away there was there was no other there was no other name that was going to be. the name. Oh. So I don't think the sidebar was going to be <laughs> was going to work out for us too well. <laughs> or whatever no, the no. alternatives were. Alcove is more of a romantic sound to it than. Yeah, the I agree. Bar. Thank you. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. You're going to be opening up another business early next year, Bello, yes. and that's going to be in partnership with your dad. Yes. How long have you and 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 your father thought about or dreamed of opening up a business together? Um. I, honestly, I think it started really after we opened the alcove because I felt like, you know, it was something more tangible, mm. right? And it was something that I was in, and I knew now, and and I was doing. Um, maybe subconsciously as a kid, you know, when I was in the restaurant at the age of, you know, 13, you know, helping my dad, you know, run around, 
maybe, it, you know, subconsciously it planted a seed in my mind. And I thought, you know, wow, it'd be great to one day, you know, do it like him or do it with him. Right. And when the opportunity presented itself, it just made sense. My father is the most knowledgeable person I know with regards to the restaurant business. So um, it's an honor. It's a, it's, mm. a, it's a dream come true. And it's a, it's, it's an honor really. And we're so excited, you know? Mm. Well, Jonathan, just a few weeks ago, I would have asked about the challenges you would expect to face opening up a restaurant business right now at this point in time, <laughs> but we've had promising news just over the last week. Um, so opening a restaurant in the beginning of the year, might very well might be very well timed, especially since there unfortunately have been a number of of people in your business that have had to close their doors. Absolutely. Where is where is the new business going to be? Is it also going to be in Sunnyside or Woodside? Actually, it's it's right around the block from the alcove. So the okay. alcove is located on, <laughs> you know, it's on 49th right off Skillman Avenue, and Bello is going to be on 48th and Skillman Avenue. So literally around the corner. It'll be easy to manage both of them then. Absolutely. Um, Well, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Jonathan Cordero, uh, the founder and partner in the Alcove Restaurant in Sunnyside. And he lives in Woodside, which both neighborhoods coincidentally or not coincidentally are the topic of tonight's show. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Do you run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern Time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day.
We're back, and you're back to Rediscovering New York in our program this evening about Woodside and Sunnyside. My second guest is Jonathan Cordero. Jonathan and his wife, Maria, own and operate the Alcove Restaurant in Sunnyside and soon will be opening up Bello. And I don't know your dad's name, sorry, so I can't say what his name is. Okay. What is your dad's name? His name is Gilson. Gilson Cordero, presumably. Yep, you got it. You okay, know. great. <laughs> great. Oh. Well, Jonathan, the neighborhoods, Woodside and Sunnyside, are right next to each other. You live in one, you own a business in another. Yes. Would you see there's any difference in the vibe, feel between Woodside and Sunnyside? Or were they basically the can, same? Can I tell you honestly, you know? Sure, sure. This is an honest program with people's yeah, honest yeah. views. I about, say that a about, lot. I don't know why I do that. I'm always being honest. <laughs> um, truth to me, they feel the same, Jeff. You know, they both carry, embody you know, a sense of community, uh, unity, right, and diversity. And what I find so special about both of them is that, the, you know, your the trees line the streets, you, you get that residential feel, but, you know, you're still close to everything that you need to be close to, right? So that's the, the to, to me, they both feel the same. Now, again, if you're getting closer towards the main thoroughfare, if you're getting on Queens Boulevard, where it's more commercial, then it might be a different feel there. But, you know, I live on 51st Street, which is considered Woodside, and the alcove is on 49th Street, and that's Sunnyside. And I used to live on 52nd Street. And on the funny thing is, when I moved there, I automatically assumed that my zip code was the same because I was moving up, right? You know, I went from 51st to 52nd. I didn't get mail for three to four months. And and because apparently 52nd Street is considered Sunnyside. Mm-hmm. So, you know, <laughs> there, you know, I couldn't tell you to this day really where the, the, the clear marker is or the border between the both, right? But, you know, I personally think that they're both the same and just special. It's really special, you know? Well, that's one of the reasons why we're doing them at the same time, you know, as, as a, you know, almost. Uh, yeah, they, they're married together. You can't, I really feel like you can't do one without the other. That's, you know, they're so close. And because you couldn't tell in many areas, at least where, where I am on Skillman or, you know, 39th Avenue or, you know, 43rd Avenue, you know, how do you know sometimes, you know, maybe I think Jason will be, able, <laughs> Jason will be able to tell us better exactly that mark. <laughs> Well, we have to wait for Jason's book to come out. I hope not that long. But. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I admire him. Um, the Alcove has been in business five years, and you've lived in Woodside since 2008, I think you said? Uh, 2010. 2010, okay. Yeah. Um, have you seen the neighborhood change at all, Jonathan, in the time that you've lived there and the time that you've owned your business there? I have. Uh, I've seen, you know, an influx of young families and couples, um, moving into the neighborhood. Um, it's, it's, it's amazing to see, you know, uh, I saw it when I was at the copper kettle, right. I did see a lot of the younger families in the neighborhood and, but I, for some reason in the last five years, it was an explosion. Um, a lot of people decided to make their roots in Sunnyside and Woodside and quite, I don't blame them. You know, it's just, uh, I think it's amazing. It's probably also a testament to the people who live in the community now, people like you and Maria. Uh, well, thank you, yeah. Which leads me to my next question. Do you know if most of your customers at Alcove live in Sunnyside and Woodside, or do they come from other places to, mm. to seek out your food? 
Good question. Uh, I've tried to think of that answer, and I'd say that I'd say sixty percent of our customers are local, and forty percent of them, you know, travel a bit to get to us. You know, um, it's it's funny because our space is off the main avenue, and it's it's a little hole in the wall, right? So to hear it just blows me away when someone tells me that they come from. Uh, Westchester, Jackson Heights, uh, Storia, Brooklyn, Bayside, you know, in many times Connecticut and Jersey. It's like, I just want, <laughs> I want to hug them. <laughs> uh, you know, I, now I can't do that anymore anyway. So I'm giving them the, uh, the elbow. The elbowing, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Do you know if you get a lot of repeat customers who, who come to the business? Is that, is that a big part of your business? Oh, yeah. No, that is, you know, the... <clears throat> Uh, the, the focus for us, Jeff, is is service, right? And as I mentioned before, you, you essentially feel like you're coming into our living room when you come there. So it is about making sure that people leave with the best experience they can leave with every day because they return, right? So I'm very grateful and blessed to say we are that all, you know, 90% of our customers are return customers. And I'm of the belief that the 10% that, that are coming in for the first time, that's just their first time, mm. you know, they will come back and they do, you know, for the most part. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to, to, to checking. Oh, you wow. out. Jonathan and I were talking before airtime, everyone. And I was sharing with him that, you know, for the past eight months, um, I haven't met my guests and I've not been going to their businesses, but uh, I'm looking forward to doing that when, when times are a little different, which yeah. hopefully you'll be, you know, within a couple of months. Wow. Um, as a business owner, is there anything that you struggle with in Sunnyside and also Woodside? Ah, oh, I, I, hmm, I don't think so. No, there's nothing that we struggle with. Uh, at the moment, you know, the challenges that we face in Woodside and Sunnyside, Every community is facing around the world, so you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say no. It's a, it's a struggle, particularly for us. It's a struggle for everybody. You know, we're all in this together, and there's, there's really no, you know, blueprint for how to navigate through this. So, you know, uh, I'm blessed to be in the Woodside and Sunnyside area because it's being in that community that has helped us thrive, well, survive this time and thrive in other times, but especially during this time, it's being in this community. It is the sense of community and the community wanting us to succeed. That has been a blessing, a blessing, you know? Um, we have a couple of minutes left and I always like to ask um, a person who owns and operates a business in a neighborhood, two, two particular questions in case someone uh, is inspired by what they hear and is thinking <laughs> about, about, uh, uh, storing something up. Is there anything that you wish were in the neighborhoods that isn't right now from a business perspective? No. No? No. no. Okay. No. And is there any particular advice that as, as someone who's in business in the neighborhood and, who, and, and who's lived there for, for twice as long as, you, if you, as you've operated your business, would you have any particular advice, Jonathan, for someone who's looking to open up a business in Sunnyside or Woodside? Absolutely. Um, you know, if you're going to open up a, a business in any community, but particularly in the Sunnyside, Woodside community, you, 
you can't do it without making connections and caring about the community and the people that walk by your space every day, even if they've never come into your place because this is their home, right? So it, make connections with the people that are in your community, um, care about your community, uh, care about what goes on in your community. Because if you don't do that, you're doing a disservice to yourself anyway, because ultimately you, you miss out on so many great opportunities to meet people. And that's what makes this whole experience so special, honestly. So especially, special. especially you being in a retail business and also uh, reaching people through uh, one of the most sacred places, which is their taste and their stomachs. You got it. <laughs> Straight to the heart. <laughs> Well, I can't. I'm, I'm getting hungry just thinking just about it. Just thinking about it, right? Yeah, I am. I am. Well, you have um, dinner on me. I promise when that day comes, it'll be uh, it'll be an honor, Jeff. Well, honor. thank you, Jonathan. I appreciate that. Thank you. I won't bring too big a, I won't bring too big a party. <laughs> uh, well, Jonathan Cordero, thank you so much for being a guest on Rediscovering New York. Um, what's the address of the alcove? Uh, the alcove is 4111 49th Street in Sunnyside, Queens, and Bello, soon to be open, uh, is 4806 Skillman Avenue in Sunnyside, New York. And when is Bellow opening? That has been the question uh, <laughs> of the last year or so, I'll be honest. I hope to have it open before uh, the end of this year, but at the very latest, at the beginning of 2021. So Okay, but there's the alcove, nevertheless. Yes, yes. Okay. Well, thank you. Well, everyone, we've just finished this week's journey to Sunnyside and Woodside in Queens. Uh, if you have comments or questions about the show, or if you'd like to get on our mailing list, please email me, jeff at rediscoveringnewyork.nyc. You can like us on Facebook, and you can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter. My handles there are jeffgoodmannyc. Once again, I'd like to thank our sponsors this evening, Chris Pappas, mortgage banker at TD Bank, and the law offices of Tom Siaka, focusing on wills, estate planning, probate, and inheritance litigation. One more thing before we sign off. I'm Jeff Goodman, a real estate agent at Brown Harris Stevens in New York City. And whether you're selling, buying, leasing, or renting, my team and I provide the best service and expertise in New York City real estate. To help you with your real estate needs, you can reach us at 646-306-4761. Our producer is Ralph Storier. Our engineer is Sam Leibowitz. Our special consultant is David Griffin of Landmark Branding. Sorry, Landmark Branding. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you next time. www.talkradio.nyc Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Hi, I'm Graham Dobbin. Join me every Thursday evening for the Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. We speak to people from business, sport, military and politics, all around what makes a great leader. The personal experiences of what's worked and, maybe more importantly, what hasn't worked. So, that's 7 o'clock every Thursday evening. The Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. Listen to real stories of real leaders. Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. 
Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a curious person, always asking questions? Do you desire to be in the know? Then join me, Antonia, host of So Now You Know, Thursdays at 5 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. Listen in as I attempt to satisfy that curiosity. I will be talking with amazing everyday people. Join the fun. So now you know on Thursdays at 5 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. Hey, all you listeners looking to boost your business. Why not advertise on Talk Radio NYC with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply send us a message on our website, talkradio.nyc. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. 